This is the Saint score on Voice FM 103.9 as well as all of your favourite podcasting platforms. We're back once again. It's Saturday. Well, it's Saturday for us anyway. And Mikey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, mate. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Do you know what? I'm not doing too bad. We played a bit of five aside yesterday. I played my one and only game since coming back. Well, we had a bit. We had a small spell after I came back from university, but I didn't play last week. I did play this week. I didn't score, but we did win. So I'm happy you were involved in that as well. How, how did you feel the game went? We are going to talk about Newcastle, not just an analysis on our <laughs> five aside that no one has a, a single clue about, unless the opposition are watching and hope they're okay. So, uh, Mikey, how, did you enjoy last night? Oh, it was great fun. It was much better than last week. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was much better, yeah. The the um the game was good. Very um physical as a as a game, but we got the better of them in the end and it, I think it was quite a clear score line in the end, so it wasn't it was quite nice. Is it gonna be upsetting now that from next week I'm not gonna be able to play at all? So I've came in, one win. Uh, zero losses so far this season so it's going to be disappointing even though I didn't score and I got one assist and you guys absolutely ran the show it's going to be upsetting not being able to see my face every day on a Thursday yeah it's going to be absolutely gutting because um, <laughs> because what what you provide is not really box to box you just stay boxed yeah, just box so, so you just sort of stay back the entire cycle because everyone else the freedom to go where we want yeah. so which is quite, it's quite nice, but now we're going to have to track back and everything. It'll just be annoying. So, no, but the problem is, like, I when you, you and uh, one of our friends, Louis, always say, Come on, you know, you'll get up and down the pitch. Like, I will, when my lungs allow it, I will get up the pitch. It's just, I'm not, I'm not the cardiovascular machine that I used to be. And by that, I mean, I've, I've never been, I've, I've always been awful at Cooper runs and all that cardio stuff. So, I, I leave that up to you. <laughs> Enough about five asides. We'll get, you know, get to proper football. Well, no, that's a disservice on us. We we do play proper football. Uh, but the, the professional game, which me and Mikey weren't able to get to, it was Newcastle versus Southampton last Saturday. And what a way to kick off the podcast, because none of us, or say none of us, neither of us were able to get to. Well, just a little, little heads up. Jamie and Ollie are both unavailable for this podcast. So it's just me and Mikey. Uh, Mikey, why weren't you able to see the game against Newcastle last Saturday? I was at uh, the Snow Stadium to watch Ooh. Totten play against Highworth. I do the performance analysis down there. So, um, yeah, we we it was a great game. A very, very tight game in the end. And it came down to like the 88th minute. But, you know, 1-3-1, happy days. And I think that's three wins from three, four from four now that we played Limington on Tuesday night and won that one. So, yeah, it's been quite a good... Uh, Quite a good start for for the boys at the Stags. You know, it's quite good. Oh yeah, you couldn't couldn't really ask for much more. If we if Saints got three wins out of three, I'd be more than happy. Certainly, yeah. they don't. They do have two points. I I've ruined the score for anyone that doesn't know. But if you're listening to a Saints specific show slash podcast, remember you can listen on all your podcasting platforms. If you're not listening live, although if I said that, you you will be doing that. Uh, remember, I wasn't able to get there which I was very sad about. It was a very long trip, but I did go to Victoria, so I couldn't see any of the game either. So you're listening to a podcast where neither of us saw anything but the Match of the Day highlights, but I watched that a few times. I watched the Saints side of things. So I like, I like listening to a lot of different commentaries. So yeah, 
we I got it through push notifications off of Ollie's phone. Uh, but one way I did get to see the start of the game, or not start the start of the game, the starting notification on the team sheets came out just before I was listening to Southampton's own Craig David. Uh, was through his phone. We saw the team sheets. Mikey, Elianusi came in and Walker-Peters came in. Walcott and Parade both out. What were your thoughts when you first saw that? I, I was surprised. i, I got to say, I was surprised to see um, Elianusi come straight in. That, But I think that's sort of how Ralph does it is if you put in the performance, if you give him the signs that you deserve to be in the first team, then you've got the opportunity to perform. And of course he got a goal in this game, which is good. I didn't see much else of him in all fairness, but you know, getting a goal is quite nice. Even if it's like bundled in off six different players and off the goalkeeper, off the post or whatever, goal's a goal. Um, and I was also surprised about Perot being dropped because I was quite impressed with him against Man United. I didn't see a lot of him from Everton, but against United, he looked good and he looked like a balanced fullback. And I mean, again, Walker Peters is definitely not a bad replacement, but it was just a little bit surprising to see him get dropped. But for the rest of the squad, I was quite happy because I came into this game saying that I'm happy with an unchanged side. So the other nine players, that was fine. And I mean, the two changes were interesting and surprising to me, but they weren't bad changes. It just sort of shows how the transfer window's gone and how much depth we've got now compared to last season. I think part of it, even though this shouldn't probably be the first thing on their minds, even though we did get a point, was trying to keep Walker-Peters happy. I think on deadline day, well, after deadline day, I think the Telegraph came out and said that he was wanted by Everton, Kyle Walker-Peters, that is. And as a starter, as a nailed-on starter from last season, getting replaced by Livermento, as brilliant as he is, is still an 18-year-old that's only just come through the door, and Ralph West has about having to learn the system, and he's here for a few weeks, then gets chucked in. Then you've got Parade on the left side. Do you think it's a, a case of trying to keep Walker-Peters just happy and going you know what you played well against Newport you're gonna get you're gonna get a chance here I don't know if it's whether I mean of course playing games is gonna make a player happy so like yeah that's quite an obvious thing of yeah keep him happy play him in the game I think it's also like a different tactical approach because we know that um the <laughs> the underlapping fullback is something that or the inverted wing back as people like to call it is um coming into the game a lot more of fullbacks exploiting that inside space. I think the best example is Ron Cancelo for Man City. He'll play at left back and he'll cut inside on his right foot and he'll make underlapping runs instead. And with how wide Gineppo starts, that gives a different option. We've already got a wide man. We don't need an overlapping player that goes around the outside of him. It gives a chance for him to come inside almost and make a three in midfield. So um, that could just be like a tactical thing that Ralph wanted to try. It obviously worked against Newport Walker to got his goal. Um, so that might have been something that he was interested in trying. But I think there was a press conference where Ralph said that he um, Walker Peters was obviously disappointed with not starting. But it's also the fact that he was professional in his approach and he sort of worked his way back into the team. Like so. He's obviously put in the effort, obviously put in the work, and Ralph has rewarded that. Yeah, you talked about Gineppo there, the winger on the other side that started the first two games but did get dropped for this one was Theo Walcott. Do you think that's a fair decision? I think so. I think he um he didn't really make an impact like in either of the Everton or the Man United game. He got subbed off at half time in the United game. I know that was for a change of system and you had to sacrifice a winger, but 
I was I wasn't surprised to see him leave the pitch. There wasn't that same impact. And you know, with all you you can say with the Walcott, you're always going to get 110 percent from him. You're always going to get that hard work, that determination off the ball. He's always got that turn of pace as well to be able to press and like intensify quickly. But then all of our wingers has that. Like that's like our main thing with players on that pitch is you're going to get 100 percent out of them and you're going to get hard work and determination. So you need more of a production on that. So I, I think Walcott Le- not starting in this game was kind of, you could almost see it happening, whether it was Elianuzi who came in or Redmond who came in or Teller who came in, there was always someone like knocking at the door. Yeah, and I look around the squads and I go, I don't look at a player that if they get drops, I can see them as a as an unprofessional-esque player. Like you, you saw old players, like I don't want to pick anyone out individually, but it looked like someone like Lamina, for example. I sort of think if he got dropped after the first two games, he probably wouldn't be too impressed. He might kick up a fuss. But you look at Walker Peters, you look at Walcott especially, those two are, are the sort of kind of players that I don't believe would kick up a fuss. They'd also, if anything, they'd up themselves, they'd up their game. Do you think that's something that we've done quite well in squad building and the fact that we just seem to have a load of team players, professional players that will also almost like, I can't think of the words, but G each other on to increase their game and then all competition throughout the squad's just absolutely fantastic. I think I think there's positives and negatives to it, you know. So you know that you've got a very honest squad that are going to put in the effort, they are going to put in the hard work, whether it comes off or not. Like it's not going to be for the want of trying. They they will put in every single ounce of effort to get that right, and you need that for a pressing system. Everyone's got to work as a team. Everyone's got to work together. Everyone's got to know each other's roles and where they've got to be and everything like that to make the pressing traps work. However, we've also seen not the great extent of it where Che Adams has got into goal scoring opportunities and has tried to pass the ball or like, I don't know, Gineppo's got to the byline and instead of like making a cutting and run, he's passed it back. There, there are elements to the game where you can be a little bit too uns- too unselfish. Yeah, a little bit too unselfish in, in the way that you play. So you sometimes need that player who's just going to like sort of have a shot from 30 yards out or be a little bit selfish and run with the ball or do this or do that. So I I think there's elements of positives and elements of negatives. And I think that's what Adam Armstrong is, is that he'll come in and he'll just have a shot from wherever, even if he's got that opportunity. So you do need a balance in your team of players who are going to be selfish and selfless. I think you've nailed it there. And one player that you mentioned that I really, really like because of all the attributes you listed there was Musa Gineppo, but sadly he was on the wrong side of things in the first half. He somehow missed from about four or five yards out. He had a second opportunity where you could say he could have passed it to Chadwick, but it's a split of the moment thing. It's a lot easier for me to say sitting here than with 60,000 St. James's Park fans looking at him. But the first one, he's he's got to score, hasn't he? As, much, as frustrating as it is, and he's probably heard it a million times, He's got to score from that distance. Was it, who, who crossed it into him just so he can sort of make a, a mental picture for people if, they, if they're listening? I'm trying I to... have no idea. Was it, one, <laughs> it was one of Elianuzzi or Tino uh, Livermento. It yeah. was one of them two that put the ball back into the box, cut it back. And uh, 
like the the promising thing is he's got into the right position there. He is in the right mm-hmm. position. That's sort of like your Raheem Sterling position where you're you're in the six yard box. You make that late run. You're completely unmarked. That's the right movement from him. Just a shame the ball takes a slight bubble when he gets underneath it and it just goes. Uh, sure, it, it sort of shows. I mean, how good Sterling is in that situation where he will just sort of put the ball in the back of the net every single time. I I do. I just absolutely gutted for him because yeah. he, he deserved that goal from the first two performances. He's he's been good, and ah, uh, oh, just if he would have stuck that away, that would have been brilliant for him, a boost for his confidence. You know, uh, I, I hope he doesn't get dropped for it, but it is a chance that you've got to be putting away, like especially in the Premier League, to be able to show that that clinical nature is the difference between a team that's going to battle against relegation this year and a team that can push for Europe. And that's something that we have been lacking is that clinical nature for a couple of years now. Do you think we should be encouraged, though? Because it feels like Gineppo's started the season a lot better than his previous two. And although he's got nothing to show for it, it just seems like his connection with Parada when Parada was playing in the first two games was really good. Yes, he does lack that end product, but once again, he's still quite a raw player. But like you say, if he's getting into those positions, if he's getting into dangerous areas, that's certainly a positive to take, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I mean you you gotta you gotta keep getting into those positions. You can't lose confidence from that. But I think that's what I mean. What Gineppo brings is a very honest player who's putting in the hard work. He's brilliant off the ball as well. I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Well, off the ball, he is fantastic at winning the ball back, um, putting in tackles, putting in interceptions. And I think that's why Ralph likes him. And it's always a shame when he gets injured because he always sort of puts a run of form together and then it just gets done. So hopefully he can stay fit over the next couple of weeks. I know he's on international duty at the moment. So if he can stay fit for like at least four or five games, he could actually make himself a starter in this team because I don't think there are any nailed on like number 10s that we've got. So he could end up making the starter. Yeah, I think his only worry is if Elianusi can play on the left and Stuart Armstrong comes back in, as scrappy as the Elianusi goal is, and we'll talk about it a bit later, he still scored on his first start. And then if Armstrong comes in, he's almost a guaranteed starter. So that might be a bit of a worry, but yeah, I think Gineppo's, he started the season well, but we did go into the break, nil-nil. I looked at the stats on the one time I could get 4G whilst in uh, Southsea, and I think we had eight shots there one. We dominated possession, and I went to Ollie. This is a game that has got a loss written all over it. Because it, without the goal, it sort of looked like every other first half we've had. We've dominated. We've not been able to be clinical with our chances. Is that is that sort of the problem we've had for the last two to three years? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the that's the reason why we've ended up in relegation scraps and been on the back end of results we really shouldn't be. And Newcastle is just the team that does it to us. No, no matter what happens away at Newcastle, where we could have like thirty shots in the game and they have one and they'll win one nil. Like that's just how it ends up with Newcastle for some reason. I, I don't know if it is just the clinical nature. We can talk about Callum Wilson and St. Maximin a little bit later, but the clinical nature of Newcastle compared to us and the quality that they seem to have when they get into the final third just seems to be a step above us. And and we don't know why, because like on paper, our squad is better than theirs. However, in the final third, I do think Callum Wilson and St. Maximin are a step above the players that we've got. 
it does sound like a, a bit of a pathetic, ridiculous excuse, but I don't think it, this sounds any. I don't think this sounds silly if you base it on statistics. At our grounds, we've got a fantastic record against them. At their grounds, they've got a brilliant record against us. Is it because like the eight or nine hour trek just sort of half takes it out of you? I know we dominated the first half. We we dominate a lot of games against Newcastle, but it just it just seems too. It, the the statistics of us being brilliant at our place against them and vice versa, it just seems you know it links too well. I I don't know what your thoughts about on, on that are. No, it's always like the hardest games to go to are the ones that are the first away because you have to put the miles and you have to travel up. I'd I'd be interested to know like whether what day we travelled up, whether we did travel up the Saturday or we went up the Friday or something like that and had like a rest over and went on to do it on Saturday. I don't know if that would make a difference, but it is always difficult going or just going to Newcastle as a place or like Burnley or places like that where we've got to travel our furthest away trips to. Uh, We don't have good records at either place. So I think it does show that with the elongated travel, you do get like poorer results. Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair enough. And after the break, you know, we've covered the first half. We'll talk about the goals because there was four of them in the second half, which a game between Southampton and Newcastle, you wouldn't necessarily think there'd be a lot of goals, but there was. But also, Mikey, we have the the thing that we have every episode now to keep listeners locked in right until the end. It's it's the quiz. It's the three players from any team anywhere that have played with one current Saints player that's made at least one one appearance. So it can't be like Arno. I'll give you I'll give you that little hit there. It can't be him because he's not played. The three players for this week are Dominic Calvert Lewin, Gabriel Obertan and Connor Hurahan. If no one heard that, I'll do it one more time. It's Calvert Lewin, Gabriel Obertan and Connor Hurahan, Mikey, you've got a few minutes to think about that one to the end of the episode. If people want to get involved with it, remember to get in contact at Saints underscore score or at Voice FM at Voice FM Radio. Have you got, if you don't tell me, but have you got any names straight away coming to your head? No, you got you got no names. That's that's what I like to hear. I want to win this week. I want to make it difficult, but also you know I've chucked in a few names where you could get some links with. So yeah, after the break, right at the end, we'll tell you about that. But yeah, we'll see you after this. And we're back. This is Voice FM. Also, this is the Saint Score. It's me and Michael, Mikey and I. If you want to use proper. English already in the first 18 minutes we talked about Newcastle in the first half of that game and now it's time for the second half we're also going to talk about a bit about transfers later because the transfer deadline has passed remember if you want to get involved tweet us at saints underscore score or at voice fm radio but one question I do want to ask you Mikey that I wasn't able to get in the first half you know going into the second half who has confidence because Newcastle, they've been dominated, but we've dominated, but it's still nil-nil. So who, who you know, sort of ends the better there? Because we've dominated, so it sort of feels like, you know, we, we're on the top, but they've also not conceded. So they might gain confidence from that side of things as well, because the next 45 minutes are fresh. So who, who sort of, what mindset are the players going through at that sort of stage? With with Southampton going in at half time, they'll have like, oh, we've got the better of them, we've got this, we've got that, we we're definitely going to be like one step ahead of them. But on the other hand, you think to yourself, well, we had so many chances in that first half, we should be two or three goals up. 
So it sort of gives the opposition a little bit of a boost going, oh yeah, like we should be behind right now. We're not. It's still nil-nil. All we need is a goal and all of a sudden we've got the swing of the game. So like you can look at it at either end and just go, well, on the one hand, yeah, we are being battered. But on the other hand, we're still in this game and we still got that chance. I know you're not a sports psychologist, or at least not yet. I don't know what other paths you might go down in I, your I've later done the modules, life. It's fine. You've done your modules. modules. So you, I've done the modules, all right? You'll be, good in this, you'll be pretty good <laughs> in this segment. Uh, in the players' minds, sort of going into the into the halftime break, do they think about past results? Do they think, well, this has happened before when we've either been level and then the other team come into it? Or does that not, the past results not really, do they not really think about that too much? Or is it player by player basis, really? It'll be player by player basis. Like you'll have some some people who once the game's gone, it's gone. They don't think about it. It's sort of like they they just forget all about it. You know when you come out of an exam mm. and you sort of like you come out of the exam and then all of a sudden all the knowledge that you had of your maths are gone. <laughs> and you just don't know how to do like one plus one anymore. You just sort of completely forget about everything. That's what some players will do. Other players will just think back of it and like constantly it'll be in their mind and it it doesn't help. And that'll be something that psychologists will like do and think about is either forget about it or like focus on it it's one of the, it dependent on players because some players will focus on it and go right this can't happen again and that's putting you on a negative mindset so you've got to go in a positive mindset so you can go into the second half thinking oh you know we, we can do this we can get another goal we can get the three points today yeah um, something that i think all saints fans are thinking was Callum Wilson is probably going to score. If he's not injured, <laughs> and when he's on the pitch, he normally scores. Not just against us, against loads of teams. If you keep him fit, we saw it at Bournemouth. He was a 10 to 15 goal a season striker minimum. You know, he's got a, a call up and goals for England, for goodness sake. You know, he's a decent striker. And on the hour mark, he made it 1-0. I remember looking at Ollie's phone notification after coming out of one of the R&B concerts, which I wasn't a massive fan of in itself, so it just made it even worse at the time. Uh, what were your feelings going through your head when, when you saw that they went 1-0 up? Uh, here we go again. I know mm. that's not the mindset that people want, but yeah, here we go again was definitely the feeling of, well, you know, this is what we expect from an away day at Newcastle. Um, us to dominate, us to be the better side, and then all of a sudden, just from out of nowhere, it feels like they grab a goal. Um, and it was it was quite a simple goal at that. I mean, the way that we press is very high risk, high reward because you're getting so much of a density in like one side of the pitch. One switch of play can do you. But that's the whole point of the pressing is to try and prevent that switch of play, sort of box them in and then win the ball and break. But unfortunately, for some reason, that press didn't work. I can't remember who was pressing who, but that press doesn't work. They get the switch of play to the back post. Walker Peters has become incredibly narrow to help with that press. And then all of a sudden, he's then out of position. Everyone's in transition. Jack Stevens doesn't quite track Alan Wilson. And they score from it. So it can literally just be one simple ball that does us, which is, of course, what, what's annoying about it. But then what is also brilliant about the system. Yeah, I think if you're in the championship... I think you won't always get scored on those opportunities, but it did feel it does feel like when you're in the Premier League. I know we've been there for almost ten years now, but when you're in the Premier League, when you make any sort of mistake, 
the players on the opposition team and your team now because we you know that we've been in the prem they're gonna make the most of those opportunities and especially when it's Callum Wilson is it a bit frustrating that it feels like we've we've conceded from a similar opportunity to that of what Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored in the first week where he just gets in between the two defenders a diving head is enough and it goes past Alex McCarthy it is um but then that's also a good thing because mm. we know what a weakness is and we know that if we can try and train that out of it but we've always had a weakness of a striker running between between two center halves like it always feels like we have had that weakness is that someone just doesn't pick them up whether it's something they're coached something they're trained but this has happened since like Pellegrino or Puel where I, I remember there was a game against Burnley where they went two up top in like the last 20 minutes and when we were at St Mary's and all of a sudden they just started slapping balls into the box and there were just strikers completely unmarked in the box so I'm I'm guessing it's just the way that it's coached is you just get one man in front and one man behind and just sort of deal with the ball but if the balls are that quality and they're just going to land on their heads there's nothing you can really do about it in that situation so it is frustrating, but then you know what that weakness is, but it's not good for other teams to know what that weakness is. Yeah, I think I think my judgment there was a bit harsh because you look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he is the king of penalty box strikers. I think the, the furthest goal that he scored out is less than 10 yards. And that's nothing against him because he's got, he got 15, 16 goals last season. That's just his speciality. He doesn't need to whack them from outside the box. That's what you know players like Richarlison are for, for those sort of goals, even though Richarlison is also very, very good in the box. So maybe you can cross that one off. And then Wilson, he's another player. He's brilliant in the box. Is it a bit of a 50-50 really where you can go, yes, the defending might not be brilliant, but these strikers are the best in the business for penalty box goals. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's even more important to, you know, get the right side of him uh, when they're in the six-yard box. But, you know, like, Callum Wilson has done superbly well to get his head on it, and that's that's just how it is. Like, he he just did incredibly well to do it. Um, I don't know what shot it was, but it wasn't many shots that Newcastle had during the game. I think it was, like... I think it's just less than half the amount of shots that we had. But, you know, that's all you need in the Premier League. And that's why it's so key for Gineppo to stick that ball away in the first half because we caught Newcastle out on on a mistake. He wasn't tracked and he didn't have the clinical nature to do that. Callum Wilson did. I was going to say, I was going to say it might change the game, but a lot of the time when we go 1-0 off it, the game could go either way anyway. So it could have changed the game. We never know. Like you say, we had 22 shots. According to BBC, they had 10, they had five on target, we had six. So, in all fairness, do you think, you know, I'm sort of going a bit off track here. Uh, I'm not really going for the linear system, but I've seen this right now. The fact that we've had over double their shots, but only one more on target. You know, it's good that we're getting the shots away, but we're a bit like Wolves in the fact that we don't hit the target as often as we probably should from the opportunities that we have. Or is Newcastle having 50% of shots on target more of a good reflection on them? I think, I mean, looking at, so there's a brilliant website called FB Ref. I don't know if I'm allowed to sort of advertise. Other, other, that's right. Other, other websites are available, but awesome. that's what I like. They, they've got, they've got like a little shot chart after each game on their match reports. And you can see the distance that some of these shots are being taken. And you look at them and like most of them are off target from like 28, 35 yards out. And can, I mean, like it's fine to have a go, but like, that's I think that's sort of the how we 
um, try to break Newcastle down is Newcastle just play like three lines of defensive block in their 18-yard box. So it's really hard to try and break the Newcastle side down. So they just force you to take long shots. So it's probably players just getting to the point where they've had possession for so long that I just thought, might as well take a shot. And it's frustration, very, really. It's very difficult to score from 35 yards out with 11 players in front of you. So it's it's also down to how Newcastle play because Newcastle allow you just to have the ball and we're just going to sit in and you're going to have to break us down to create a chance. I mean, those those are where we got the two goals from. Is just Newcastle making a mistake for the penalty, and then a ball into the box to the back post. Yeah, well, he talks about having shots from thirty yards out. Elianusi has one from three yards out. Was able to get his first Premier League goal. Two appearances this season in all competitions. Four goals. He's had a brilliant start. Would you say this was was it was a bit fortuitous, or are we letting him off? He's made the right run. He's yeah. made the right run into the back post. It's a brilliant ball from Nathan Redmond to find him. In all fairness, like people have talked about Redmond not having an end product. He came off the bench against Newcastle and made an impact because he, mm. he got the assist for Ellie Newsy's goal. He also played the ball through to Adam Armstrong uh, to win the penalty. So Redmond's had a great impact off the bench. Um, but, you know, he's made the run. He's made the run. He's got the contact. Woodman has made a brilliant save from it. And it is slightly fortuitous because it's fantastic. Most All of these distances are above 20 yards, apart from Elianuzi, who has one shot from five yards out and one shot from one yard out, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's great to see. Um, but yeah, you've got to be in the right position to score. And he, he eventually gets the ball over the line. So it, it, it's a good goal in the end. And I, I do really, really like... Elianuzi, because he's someone that he's been out on loan a few times. He's, you know, he struggled in his first his first time here. I think he had about twelve appearances, couldn't get a goal or an assist. But he's, do you think he sort of learned? I wouldn't say learned his trade at Celtic, because come on now, he's a Champions League goal scorer uh, for Basel. So I think that that would be very harsh on him to say. But do you think he's now sort of learning the Premier League? Let's say. I don't. I don't know. Learning the Premier League, like he's he's played one game and scored yeah. a goal. So I, I don't know if you can say learning the Premier League. I think it's just Ralph. I think it's Ralph learning the Premier League more than anything. Because you think Elianuzi was sent out on loan because Ralph felt like that we didn't need him and he wanted a tight squad. From last year, he's learned that we need squad depth. We need yeah. quality in depth to be able to push up this league. Um, and it's a lot harder to integrate young players into the Premier League compared to, compared to the Bundesliga. Um, it's also very difficult um, just just making impacts off the bench. If you don't have a lot of options off the bench, you become quite predictable. So having Elianuzi in the squad just allows you to have almost like a second Stuart Armstrong in that way, uh, like just a, a bit more of a slower but a technical number 10 instead of someone with pace and can just dribble at people. So I think that's what Elianuzi brings. And like he's taken his opportunities where he's got it, like a hat trick against Newport, two assists, and then he's got his goal against Newcastle. He is taking his opportunities. So it's quite nice to see him get that chance and Ralph to sort of learn from his mistakes. And also Elianuzi still having the want and the drive to play in the Premier League for us, even though he has been loaned out for two years to Celtic. So it's quite nice to see that too, because we've seen it with Hoyt and we've seen it with Lamina, or players that we've loaned out, didn't want any more. They've come back and we've just had to sell them for cheap 
because they just don't want to be there. They don't want to put in the effort. They don't want to try. But Elianuzi wants to put in that effort. And you could you can tell that. He said it in interviews. He wants to be playing in the Premier League. He wants to be playing for Southampton. So he sort of proved his point to Ralph. And Ralph has now sort of learned from that and and understood that he needs more depth. He needs more players. Do you think that's something that Ralph uh, Hasnuto is getting better at? Because a lot of critics he had, especially on the first game of the season, the back of last, the last game of the season, with the fact that he wasn't changing his ways. And I don't mean that tactically based. I mean, maybe the substitutions, maybe the tactic itself, really, because a lot of people were questioning that. But you've seen now he's making subs, or at least it felt like he's made subs earlier. He has changed the formation against Manchester United rather than keeping the 4-2-2-2. Like you said, he's getting, he's having a be- bigger squad. He's not resting on his laurels and going, do you know what? No, we've got a maximum of 17 players. That's it. Do, do you think A's changed and B, you know, it's a bit of a stupid question because you, you've sort of answered the last one, but is it, is it for the better, really? I think he always has. I think that's one of the positive that Ralph's had. I understand the fact that he, he wasn't making substitutions early and he was trying to stick to the 4 two, two, two. How many twos did I just say? <laughs> I think I think you got the correct amount I think yeah, I think you got the right amount But yeah, he, uh, people saying he stuck with that. He started playing Salisu as a left back, so we we're basically playing a three. Like, mm. uh, but when we were in possession of the ball, we were playing a three. So he was making changes and he was trying stuff to do stuff new. Now he's being a little bit more proactive in games. He's he's always a manager who learns. He always seems to be someone who's willing to adapt the way that they are or or try something new, which is something that I like about him. And he's trying something new now of making changes, tactical switches, playing five at the back at halftime against Man United, making the earlier changes, giving players chances. He always seems to be someone who's willing to adapt and to admit that he's wrong, which is quite nice and quite refreshing about manager. Because, I mean, you look at Mikel Arteta, I know he's he's in his first job at the moment, but he's very, um, he wants to push his tactical style. He's not changing for it. He's not being adaptable. And that's why Arsenal are currently struggling at the moment. So it's quite nice to have a manager who, who wants to be adaptable, want, is happy to change and admit when he's not in the right. I'll be absolutely nailed there. And now we're going to go on to the, what we thought was going to be the most painful section where we lost the game. Uh, but thankfully we didn't, but we, we're still going to talk about the goal and maybe the mishaps that came towards it or during the build-up of it. Alan St. Maximan on the counter-attack. It feels like we, we can see quite a few goals from that sort, of, that sort of attack. How broken was your heart at that very stage? Because I thought one point out of three and... Every the the world's over at that at that very stage. I remember we were lining up. We just got the notification. It was just a it was just a sigh. It was just an upset sigh. I didn't actually see either of these goals go in because I was too busy setting up a tripod um, to, <laughs> to start doing post match interviews. So when when I was walking around to put the camera back down again, I just had a quick look at my phone. And it was two two. What the hell happened? <laughs> Um, yeah, the, I don't think I've seen a worse defended goal. Yeah, it I was... was absolutely awful. It was so frustrating to watch back because 
I mean, it, was it from a corner or a free kick or something like that? I, all I can remember from it is it just somehow turned into like a 2v2 or a 3v2 out of just nowhere, it felt like. And I think it was Joe Linton to the chops, Elise, who just got sent to the shops. I think he almost slid off the pitch. That's harsh. He didn't slide that far. It just found its way to St. Maximan. Warprouse clears it off the line. I don't know who took the original shot. And then it was to St. Maximan. He just smashed it into the back of the net. And uh, yeah, looking Matt back, who took the original shot? Ah, okay, Matt Ritchie took the original shot. Warprouse, he got it off the line. Maybe could have cleared it further. Maybe that'd be a bit harsh. I don't know, but yeah, I think it was well to block it. But it's just the 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 frustration of it being. I mean, I think it was Jack Stevens who who backs off St. Maximin, and that's one thing when you think of and go, no, don't do that. Salisu <laughs> <laughs> backed off him, Stevens plays Jolinton on side, and then Salisu just gets sent with yeah. Jolinton cutting it back. Stevens then goes to cover him, Walker Peters is just sort of standing there, Livermento doesn't get back quick enough, and it was just all a little bit of a complete and utter palaver. But again, that's just something it's really negative to say, but you just go, well, that's Southampton for you. It's just a little bit of a mess in the 90th minute. And and you just think, oh, that's just another point we've thrown away. That's another point to add to that table where we're losing. We weren't from a winning position, so actually we don't get to add from that table this week, which is good. You know what, Um, Mikey? We're going to add to happiness after the break. We'll talk about the second goal and just try and put smiles on our faces. It's the Saints score on Voice FM. We're back for part three of the podcast. Remember, if you want to get involved, hit us up at Voice FM Radio or at Saints underscore score. Remember, if you've missed any of it just go to the voice fm listen back feature you can listen back to all of it or you can listen on your favorite podcasting platforms it will be there right now if you want to listen to it there as well uh also i forgot to put at the end of the last bit our little bit of quiz you know if you missed the start of it remember three players that have played of one current saints player these three players come from everywhere and this week it's calvert lewin gabriel obertan and connor Horahan, remember they've played with a current Saints player that's made at least one appearance. So get your thinking hats on. Mikey, are you struggling with this week's version or this week's one? Sorry. Yeah, I'm not getting it. I I don't. Yeah, I've got no idea. (laughs) You're not sure. You're not sure. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. Anyway, we've talked about the three first goals or the three opening goals of the game but what we haven't talked about so if you've only just joined us it's a brilliant time for you it's the 96th minute equaliser i felt like i was going to tear up before that very point i was looking at ollie's phone and then the notification comes through there's a var check on a challenge how excited! I mean, you you obviously didn't see it because remember you you were talking about you know both goals sort of came at the same time because you were away at that very point, but it was a nervous couple of minutes, or at least it felt like a nervous couple of minutes at the time. So time went in slow motion, but they gave the penalty correct decision. Mikey, would you say? I know we're sort of a bit biased here, but was it the correct decision? Uh, I think Lascelles has got a little bit unlucky, but as soon as you go down in the box, you're risking it, and he's not made contact with the ball. I, I get that Armstrong, Armstrong's gone for the shot, and it's definitely affected the way that he's taken his shot. He's made contact while Armstrong is trying to strike the ball. I think the ref has got it right. Um, I I think I think he's got <laughs> it right. I uh, yeah I I don't know. I'm not a referee. I I, I would have given it, but that's just my opinion. 
Something that we haven't talked about is Nathan Redmond's through ball to Armstrong. He's come off the bench and he's certainly made an impact. What, what do you think of that pass, really? It was brilliant. It, it was absolutely fantastic. And I think Redmond's off the bench sort of... The the way that he came off the bench and impacted the game is something that you want to see. Like, I don't think he has been talked about enough from this game. He was fantastic. The ball that he bought, put, put in fairly in Uzi, the, the pass that he played through to Adam Armstrong, he's the reason why we scored two goals in this game. Like the the chance creations that he had are the reason why that we scored our goals. Uh, I think that's got. I uh, I get the fact that so our fan base isn't always the best for praising players and and sort of, especially when there's someone who, who like Redmond is one of the ones where if he doesn't have a good game he gets a load of stick. If he does, no one says anything. So I think that's something that Redmond does have to get praised for is he he did a fantastic job making an impact off the bench. And the amount of times that we've talked about players not having impacts off the bench, just sort of coming on and going under the radar, not really like looking like they're they're putting in the performance needed to make that impact. Redmond's done a lot and I wouldn't be surprised to see him come in for Gineppo after the international break because of course Gineppo's been out in Africa. He's playing he's playing for the national team there. So and especially of his injury record, you, you probably don't want to make it too intense of his travel coming back and then having to play is it Saturday against West Ham? Is yeah, Saturday, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see Redmond come in. And I'm glad that he came on in the 58th minute, so hopefully that, that's an encouraging sign for Ralph that, you know, if you put a player with half an hour to go, he can get into the game. But I know we conceded about three minutes after he came on, but that's not his fault. Let's 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 put that stamp down. That's not his fault at all, unless I, unless I missed something silly there. But, you know, he's got time to get into the game, make it, and then he's made, you know, two very good contributions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with his performance. Now, the penalty, when it's given... Do you think there's only one name for it? Because I know that Warprouse is a great goal scorer from pe- the penalty spot, but he's also missed three penalties. And Adam Armstrong, who's won the penalty, surely thinking, come on, I- I'm home, I'm in Newcastle, I want to score against the team that let me go. So, you know, w- was it really any doubt in your mind that it was Warprouse, or did you think Armstrong could have had a shout there? No, no doubt. I think I think <laughs> yeah, Wall Prowse is the obvious obvious choice. I mean, yeah, he's missed a few, but every player does, unless your name's Ricky Lambert. Like yeah. every player misses yeah. a penalty. Even Lambert did at Liverpool his first penalty for Liverpool. You but just like just re- I just want to flash <laughs> your mind back. Just remember when we had Lambert and we just knew the penalty was going to be a goal. Like <laughs> I, I just every time I, I got. I remember like flashing back to the time where we missed like three penalties in a row back in the Gabbiadini days. It wasn't him that missed all three. I'm just thinking of the time just to try and help people remember. And I just remember thinking... Didn't he miss one against Man United? He did miss one against against Hull. Um, And there was one other that I can't remember. Shane Long missed against Middlesbrough. As well, yeah. Those are the three. But yeah, Um, we... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember thinking that time, oh, we had Lambo stuck away... So I can't even think. I know it's bad. I can't remember the number, but it was it was a very high amount of it was penalties. Thirty odd, wasn't it? it was I was going to say that, but that just seemed too high. But yeah, I was thinking the same. So it must have been it must have been that amount. But Warprouse steps up. Talk about a pressure penalty, literally, or what it felt like the last kick of the game. The travelling supporters have come so far 
Oh, imagine if he missed. But thankfully, he didn't. He stuck it right in the corner and talked to me about that celebration because I could watch that back. And <laughs> I could watch that. I've re-round it and I just watch it. And it's like a 10-second clip. But you might as well make it a 10-minute clip on, uh, on Rewind. Honestly, like, he <laughs> just... just... Will Prowse was described by Claude Powell as the man that you'd want to be your son-in-law. That's what he was described as. I don't think he's that man anymore. I, I think Will Prowse has turned into under Hassan Hootel just a complete... I mean, I can't say the word. But he, he's just a horrible player. little man. Horrible yeah. player to play against. <laughs> like He will try and wind up opposition. So we've seen it work with like Zahar and... And people like that, where he he's wound them up. Even the entire Crystal Palace supporters, they yeah. hate him with a passion. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, he's oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Uh, how, how happy were you to see him sign? I, you probably talked about it last week when I wasn't there, but it's so good that we've got him for another five years. And I think the Athletics said that there's not a there's not a uh, release clause in there as well, so he might actually be ours for five years. Yeah, I I think I said I think I said in the podcast before that yeah, it's a five-year deal. It means we've got him for another season. That's that's yeah. all that means is we got him for another season. If a big bid comes in from Liverpool who I know was sniffing around, they didn't actually put in a bid or Villa again and Villa get uh, have a really good season get into the Europa League, Champions League, something like that. It wouldn't surprise me, but I think he'd he deserves to be playing a higher caliber of football. If he chooses to stay, like I'd love it Brilliant. because yeah. he he makes he makes our team tick. And I think I said in that podcast that Southampton is James Ward Prowse and James Ward Prowse is Southampton. There's nothing you can put in between that. He he's part of the Saints Foundation. He's he's an ambassador for it. He's he's the epitome of an academy player for us. He's the guy. And also, I think there was an interview with Dominic, uh, Timo Livramento when he came in. Martin Semen said that uh, Livramento asked him, "Is Ward Prowse actually staying? Because he's the one that he wants to play with." So people want to play with James Ward Prowse. Yeah. So that that's it's so key for us to hold on to him and sort of keep him here for the next five years because I think he'll be thirty two, thirty one, thirty two by the time that deal ends. So yeah, it, it'll be fantastic for him to stick around, and he he, he definitely deserves the pay rise that he got. Yeah, most <laughs> certainly. And before we talk about the transfer window, because I know both of us probably have quite a bit to say about that. Two points out of the opening three games: Everton, Manchester United, and Newcastle. I believe last season, out of those three corresponding fixtures, we got zero points. So sort of a plus two point difference. Are you happy with that? I know it's not quite a point a game that wouldn't keep us up. Uh, but against the teams that we've played against, are you satisfied? Are you okay with the start of the season that we've had? Yeah, I, I mean it's quite quite a good start considering we're very we were very nervous coming into the season, losing what three of our mainstays over the last couple of years. Um, it was always going to be like a nervy thing of will this go well? Will it not? Will it backfire on us? Um, but we've gone away to Everton and lost, which is just the general thing that we do. A point performed well, against, performed well. Performed well as well. It was yeah. just, you know, a very good goal, goal from Decore and 
I mean, the same goal we concede every year, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, a point against Man United, who now look like one of the most dangerous teams in the league now that they signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Flipping heck. Um, so we've managed to get a point that maybe some teams won't be able to get now because of the player, the calibre of player they have. Jaden Sancho's being put into that team now. Rafa Varane made his first appearance too. So, you know, we, we've got a very good point against Man United that could have been three at the end yeah. as well if you think Armstrong mm. stuck his chance away. And we put in a very good performance against Newcastle and come away with a point, which is something that we don't generally do. So I think there are a lot of positive to takes and you can look at every, every instance in the first three games. You can see chances for us to win them so it's not like we're losing these games and we're not creating chances and we're sort of just doing nothing with the it's poor performances we've had three good performances and come away with two points from games we weren't really expecting to get points from so i'd say it's been a good start i love the positivity but are you going to stay positive for this part the transfer window is over no more transfers until january you're happy with saints business you know we got a you know got the fullback cover got a centre-back replacement got a striker replacement are you, are you satisfied and out of 10 what would you rate the transfer window oh out of 10 mm. I'll, I'll leave that to the end actually i'll leave that to the end bit we'll go through and then i'll decide um I think it's been a very good transfer window. I I know we've lost Danny Ings, which is massive, and it may be. I mean, you look at he's he's firing at Aston Villa. You, you see the impact that he's had there. So it, we have lost a born goal scorer up front, um, but hopefully Adam Armstrong will be able to sort of kick on. He got a good goal against Everton. He won the penalty against Newcastle. So. Uh, hopefully he'll have the ability to kick on. But I think it's we've gone back to the way that we should have been operating for the entire time. Is like picking up these £5 million deals for the likes of Tino Livermento and, and uh, Thierry Small and people like that. We're taking punts on players that we're not spending a lot of money on and players that we can get a massive fee for. Like you think if Thierry Small starts playing first-team football this season, he's 17. Like If he can play two, three years of that for us, we could be looking at a massive profit. Same with Tina Livramento, even with the buyback clause. Chelsea don't want him. That could be upwards of £60 million if he can keep performing the way that he is and developing the way that he is, because he's 18. So like we've got very good players that from the big academies that can drop down and then sort of push back forwards and it's we're operating in a way that makes sense for our club and as because we don't have like i would love it if we could spend 50 60 70 million pounds on world-class players and really push us on but we don't have that so it's the sensible way of operating the club and this transfer window has been very successful in the way that operation is going Oh yeah, like getting 30 million for Danny Ings, as much as it's frustrating that we've lost him, for a guy that's got a year left on his contract, he's 29, and he's got a history of being injury prone. Not recently, because the last two years, I think he's missed nine games. So he's actually been quite fit recently. But that might also be because of our of our staff, and maybe Everton, uh, not Everton, Aston Villa, he might not be. But, you know, like you say, he's a brilliant striker, and I, I wish him well. Uh, Aston Villa with Vestergaard, once again, he performed well for, I'd say, six months you know he's a great professional and I, I've got absolutely no uh, once again I wish him well leaving but I think 15 minutes is a really good fee and Bertrand I wish I wish he did stay but you know it, it's his choice if he wants to go to Leicester we've got a good replacement there like you say got a good backup in Thierry Small which 
uh, Peras can help as well as Carl Walker Peters that can play on that side. You've got Livermento, you've got Valerie, and you've got Walker Peters on the right hand side. So, full back cover, done, finished. Lycano, we've not seen him, but you know, he's, he's centre back cover, if not a centre back starter. And it, it seems like he loves being here, which I absolutely <laughs> adore. I absolutely adore. But one position Ralph wants to get, and I don't think he was able to, or I don't think he, he wasn't able to get, was that number six, was that centre mid position. Does that put a bit of a down on the on the transfer window, not being able to get a Romeo-esque player, or is that us being a bit too picky? Us being I, a bit I, think, I think that's being a little bit too picky. Yeah. I think if we were to sign the number six, it would be a brilliant transfer brilliant, window. Yeah. However, I think it's the right thing to do. If there's not the player that we want for the fee that we can afford, let's not do it. Let's yeah, not take 100%. that risk. Like, we know that Stuart Armstrong can do a job in there. We've got Ibrahim Diallo. We've got Will Smallbone, who's coming back from his ACL, who I know Ralph thinks of him as a 10, but he has played in that sixth role before against Aston Villa, and he did a very good job um, beforehand as well. So we do have cover. It's just not the destroyer that we need in the Romeo role, um, which does weaken our midfield when he's not there. But I... Hopefully, I mean, I I don't know how. Yeah, I I just don't think it was worth the risk of bringing someone. Like, I know we were linked with like Hauser Chowdhury, who was at Leicester, and they didn't want him anymore. But if we couldn't loan him in, there was no point in doing that. So, yeah, you know, if if there was just no good deal, there's no point in doing it because we've done it with Carrillo before. But it's just yeah. not worth it. <laughs> Right, quick. I just want one one number from you. I don't need any explanation. Oh, what a number out of ten transfer window. Uh, seven. Do you know what? I was about to say that as well. And I, I'm happy with a seven. But what I don't know if you're going to be happy with is this question. It's the end of the podcast, which means you're going to get the answer to the question. Three players that have played with one current Saints player. It's Calvert-Lewin, Gabriel Obertat and Connor Hurrahan. Can you, can you fathom a guess at all? Is there anyone um, that comes to your mind? Gabriel Obertat has absolutely stumped me. I have no idea. It's- well, okay, we have Newcastle and Manchester United. Yeah, and I know you know that, I but know. just to try and who, what anyone that comes to your mind. Uh, I mean, look, looking at previous clubs, I think Conor Hurrahan has played for Sheffield United, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin also has played for Sheffield United. So it makes me want to say Che Adams, but I don't know where Gabriel Overton comes into that. No. Right, I'll no give idea. you. I'll quickly give you. He played with Calvert-Lewin at England under seventeen, Gabriel Overton at Newcastle, and Conor Hurrahan at Barnsley. Mikey, can he get the player? Is it Adam Armstrong? It is Adam Armstrong. Yes. There we go. You've got it. You've nailed it. If you did get that name, remember at Saints underscore score on Twitter or at Voice FM Radio on any of your preferred social media platforms. If you've missed any of this podcast, remember you can you can just find it on Voice FM, uh, well, at their website, or you know you can listen to it, download it on any of your good podcasting platforms because it will be there right now. So if you want to listen to us again, you can do it in two different places if that makes it easier for you. We'll be back next week previewing West Ham United. Uh, It's going to be a difficult game. Can we get our first win? West Ham, they've been brilliant so far this season, so it's going to be difficult. Mikey, anything to say say to the people? Anything you want to advertise? or Do you just want to say goodbye? 
I just want to say goodbye. There's not much else to say, is there? So, yeah. Do you know what? I've really, I've really enjoyed it. I don't think we've ever done a one-to-one podcast, no, me and you. No. But do you know what? I've really enjoyed it. And let's just not tell the guys next week that we're doing a podcast. We could just do it in secret. We can just do it ourselves. We can just do, do it ourselves. ourselves. I hope you guys ha- and girls have enjoyed it. And do you know what? We will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>